We have some uh, rock star volunteers in our church. I meant to say this last Sunday too. Um, there are folks who, in the midst of the busyness and holidays, um, decided to stick around and serve the church as volunteers, ushers, greeters, worship team, leaders, and so on and so forth. So can we just give these guys a, a warm round of applause. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. I know I, I probably forgot some folks, but even all the way onto the streets, making sure that we had parking. Um, thank you all for, for doing that. Um, if you will, just meditate with me for a few minutes just on these words. God with us, Emmanuel. God with us, Emmanuel. If you're in a relationship, you know what this dynamic is like. Every relationship, even this dynamic where you get into an argument or a fight and the following will ensue. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. And you'll go back and forth sometimes forever. Why? Because one person or either of you will not budge an inch, will not make any concessions, won't let your defenses down. And the back and forth will continue as long as the defenses are up. And the relationship will never heal. And the relationship will never be right. And then once in a while this happens. Do you know what it's like? One person says, it's your fault. And the other person says, no, it's your fault. The other person says, it's your fault. And finally one person says, you're right. It is me. And something strange happens. The relationship begins to heal. Sometimes the relationship actually will even deepen to greater levels of intimacy. It all starts to come back because one person simply was willing to let their defenses down and become vulnerable. You know that even if the other person is 80% wrong, in any relationship, when you take your 20% and you say, you're right, I am to blame for that, the relationship will begin to heal. Why? Ultimately, among others, you're making yourself vulnerable. Ultimately, you're letting your defenses down. It's hard. It's painful. It's sometimes the most agonizing thing that any one of us can do. But it won't be long if you're willing to let your defenses down. It won't be long if you're willing to be vulnerable, that that relationship has the possibility of being reconciled, of possibly even deepening. See, why would someone become vulnerable like that? Why would someone drop their defenses like that in a relationship? And the reason is because even in the midst of all the yelling and screaming, even in the midst of hostility, one of you finally decides this relationship is worth it. One of you finally decides you are worth it. I want you back. I want this relationship back. But the only way to do that is to drop your defenses. The only way to do that is to make yourself vulnerable. My question is, why does that work? Do you know why that works? 
we're reminded on this night, the reason why that works is because every single one of us in here tonight is created in the image of someone who gave the ultimate expression of that part of his nature at Christmas. At Christmas, we're reminded that an infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God became vulnerable. He was born a baby. In God with us, Emmanuel, we have the ultimate ex ex expression and example of someone willing to be vulnerable, of letting their defenses down. C.S. Lewis, many of you know, famously once said that if you never want your heart to be broken, if you never want your heart to become vulnerable, then don't ever drop your defenses. Don't ever become vulnerable. And that little casket of self-protection and self-centeredness, your heart will never be broken. Your heart will never be wounded. But he also said, in that little casket of self-protection, your heart will become unbreakable, irredeemable, impenetrable. C.S. Lewis reminded us that there is no chance for a relationship to be deepened. No chance for a relationship to be vulnerable. No chance for a relationship to be reconciled without one person willing to become vulnerable. Without one person willing to drop their defenses. There's no chance for any relationship to deepen without one person becoming vulnerable. And even risk getting hurt. What is the message of Christmas? Reminded tonight, church family, that the same God who appeared to Job as a tornado, a whirlwind. The same God who appeared to Abraham and Moses as a pillar of fire. Now get this. The same God became breakable. That same God who appeared as a tornado, a whirlwind, became fragile. He became a baby. He became someone we could hurt. Why? We sang about it all tonight. To get you back. To get us back. To reconcile sinful humanity. The infinite, eternal, uncreated one becomes vulnerable. Becomes a baby. So that anyone willing to admit and acknowledge their need for a savior might be reconciled to God. Are you using this on yourself? In a room like this, there surely is someone with a relationship that's fraying, that's falling apart. And that relationship, spouse to spouse, parent to child, friend to friend, will never heal as long as, as long as, as long as neither party is willing to drop their defenses, is willing to become vulnerable. 
that relationship has no chance to be reconciled unless one person following after the footsteps of our Savior who showed ultimate vulnerability is willing to say, you're right. It's my are you using this on yourself? If God became, if God was willing to go to these lengths to be near us, simple question, what are we willing to do to be near him? If it costs God this much to come and be near us, what are you, what am I, what are we willing to be near him? Too busy? Not enough time? Lack of discipline? I exhort you, claw, do whatever it takes to be near him this season. Commit to being nearer to him in 2017. I'll tell you, whatever it costs you to be near him will not nearly cost you as much as it costs for him to be near you. And lastly, anyone walking near here tonight, suffering, This year was a tough year for our church family. There are folks in here tonight who lost loved ones. And I regularly remind our church that the Bible doesn't exactly answer the question why God allows evil and suffering to exist in the world, but that the scriptures gives us something that gives us just as much hope. When things are going well, it's easy to feel like you're part of humanity. But it's amazing when you experience tragedy and trial, how lonely it feels. Do you know what I'm talking about? It feels utterly lonely to, to go through trial and suffering. And here's the thing. People that love you will come and try and console you. But you know that doesn't work. Because deep down inside, here's the thing that we feel. You don't know what I'm going through. And then once in a while, someone will come along who has gone through the exact same thing you've gone through. The exact same thing. And there's a part of you and a part of me that says, you understand, don't you? You get it. You know how this feels. I wonder if there are any more powerful two words in the English language than the words... Me too. Me too. And at Christmas time, we're reminded that we don't just have a Savior, but became a human being who was born in a manger. But a human being who was poor, who experienced betrayal, who experienced suffering and loss, and ultimately even death. At Christmas, we're reminded that Christianity has the audacity to declare a God who knows what it's like to be poor, who knows what it's like to suffer. A God who says, any table you've been on, he's been on. A God who says, any darkness you go through, I've gone through, and then some. But you don't understand what it's like to pray for something and not feel like God hears Remember Garden of Gethsemane. If it is your will, let this cup pass. 
you have a Savior who knows what it's like to not have his prayer answered. But you don't know what it's like to feel abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can trust him. He understands. Christmas is the ultimate decoration of an eternal, infinite God who says, me too. Me too. Ah. Perhaps communion will take on added significance for you and me tonight. Because in communion, we remember that he took on flesh and bone. In communion, we remember that he became just like one of us. In the words of our Savior Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. That's broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. Whenever you take it. And for those of us that are hurting, that are broken, that are suffering, that are in pain. My prayer all this week has been that the grace and mercy of our Jesus Christ in the act of taking communion, that you will hear not just in your heart, but that you will hear in your spirit, in your soul, the one who cries out, me too. And he took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It is representative of the blood that he would shed on the cross. The blood that enables sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. Sinners to enter into his throne room with grace and confidence. Sinners to call him Abba, Father. And in our church, the way we take communion is via intention. You'll take a piece of bread, you'll dip it in the cup. And you're welcome to take it as soon as you do that. Yuli, are you in here? Come on up. Yuli and I will serve you whenever you're ready. There's two lines of communion. Take it and you can go back to your seats. And when you go back to your seats, make sure you have your candles ready because we're going to light them after communion. And we'll turn the house lights off so someone could help with that. Emmanuel, God with us, invites us to the table. Take some time if you need just to reflect when you're ready.
with your family. Come on up.